At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lo Tolst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, the, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Filmography is back and just in time for Halloween season, we're taking a deep dive into the master of horror, John Carpenter. Starting September 27th, host Dominic Suzanne Mayer and a rotating panel of guests will break down each of Carpenter's 20 feature-length movies to date, with new episodes every Thursday. Grab your synthesizer, your flares, and your best Shatner mask, and come along on this latest journey with us. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith With. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Take a second before we get started here to go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to. You, you, you might be checking it out on Spotify. You can follow along there. On YouTube, hit the subscribe button there or wherever you get your favorite podcast from. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today my guest is Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees. Following up the Good Times record that put them back on the charts after 50 years of being a band, they now have its follow-up called Christmas Party. It's the very first Christmas album from The Monkees, which is kind of crazy. Mickey and I are going to talk about that, as well as uh, working with people like Andy Partridge of XTC, Rivers Como from Weezer, uh, Scott McCoy and Peter Buck from R.E.M., how they've resurrected some of the late Davy Jones's vocals so he could be a part of this record, and what it's been like working with Adam Schlesinger. Then we'll turn back the clock 50 years to talk about an album that has become a cult fan favorite. That is a head that just did celebrate its 50th anniversary, and its ties to Instant Replay, which will celebrate its 50th anniversary early next year. There's also a nice little teasing update about a ton of unreleased songs from the Monkey's Vaults. 
Very exciting. It's Kyle Meredith with Mickey Dolence from the Monkees. Hi, thanks for the call. It's fun to say here we are again with new album from the Monkees. This is happening a lot quicker these days. This is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no one's more surprised than me. (laughs) I bet, I bet. So what we're talking about this time is, uh, is Christmas Party. How is this the very first Christmas album in the Monkees career? How did you all not get pressured into that the first time around? That's a great question. Um, I remember over the years people bringing it up, talking about it, uh, why don't we do it? And we did a Christmas episode of the show, of course, once, Mm -hmm. and sang an a cappella version of an old Castilian kind of gothic uh, folk song. And... Well, you know, over the years, I I recorded as a solo a couple of Christmas things for a compilation album, and I know David did. In fact, uh, two of the songs that he recorded were remixed and and also um, some additional uh, uh, you know instrumentation on the new album. I guess it's just like n- nobody ever got around to it. But you know, the Monkey Show originally only lasted two or three years, and they were releasing a whole lot of <laughs> albums. During, during that, that very brief period of time. And then uh, the show went off the air, as you probably know, and basically we stopped recording as, as a quartet, uh, as the monkeys. Each of us went off and started doing our own kind of thing. And uh, th- there was nobody driving the train, <laughs> no pun intended, really for years. Uh, the first reunion in 86, uh, when... Uh, three of us got back together and released a uh, a couple of new songs. That was then. This is now. And so that's basically the short story. Nobody just ever got around to it. I think this is, is the is the short answer. But here we are. With um, I think I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the of the CD. I love it. And and it does come really quick on the heels, uh, comparatively anyway, of uh, of, of good times. Right, and so that was another part of the uh, issue. After the success of Good Times, and, you know, considering a 50-year-old act, <laughs> that album did really, really well, all things considered. And, uh, of course, the, the first, you know, as soon as that happened, uh, the record company immediately started talking about following it up, of course, which is what what you usually do. Uh-huh. But... Uh, I, I can only speak for myself, not, uh, uh, of course, uh, Peter or Mike or, or the record company. I was a little hesitant. I mean, I would, it had taken quite a lot of work to pull that album together. And we got real lucky finding, you know, original tracks from the 60s and Davy's voice on stuff. And then, of course, the title track, my friend Harry Nielsen, uh, that demo that he, well, it wasn't a demo, it was more than a demo, but... But with his lead vocal as the, uh, the the scratch vocal, and I did the duet with him, and I thought, you know, boy, this is going to be real tough to to follow this, you know, with the, with those incredible songs by Rivers Cuomo and Ben Gibbard and Ellen Partridge, and how are you going to follow that, you know, especially if you're going to try to do it really quickly and call it Good Times Two, you know, right. whatever, and I. I just asked, I said, how the heck are we going to try to pull all that together, you know, that very quickly? And then Rhino came up with the idea of how about a Christmas album? You've never done one. And it isn't like then you're doing Good Times 2. It's a 
totally different kettle of fish. And I, I jumped, I loved the idea. I thought that, that this, this perfect Christmas holiday album, they, we knew we had these tracks of David from the six, uh, well, seventies, I think he recorded them. Then, uh, we got submissions from Rivers Cuomo and from, uh, Alan Partridge and, uh, and, and others. And then Nez climbed on board and said, I'll do a couple. And Peter did, a, uh, came on board, said, he'll do, he'll do some. And, uh, it, boy, it came together fast, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've kind of got your dream team there now with Partridge and Rivers and, and Scott and Peter and everything. I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, <laughs> how much... Um, no kidding. Yeah. How, how much, no kidding. How much involvement do you have in the originals when they're working on them, or is it they just kind of submit and you, you sign off? How does it work? Well, the kind of the same way it always worked. You know, the, the record company uh, puts, puts the word out. In the case of Good Times, that's exactly what happened. Uh, we knew we had these unfinished uh, tracks and, and vocals from the 60s. We've always known that. We had recorded so much material uh, over the m- months and years because uh, they wanted, you know, a couple of songs in every episode, every new episode, every week. So... <clears throat> Uh, we were recording just day and night, especially me, because I did most of the of the lead singing. And I would go in the studio after having already uh, worked eight to ten hours on the television show on the set. And I, it was not uncommon for me then to go down to RCA Victor uh, Studios on Sunset and, and record until midnight, sometimes two lead vocals a night. Wow. But the process was, um, well, it's fairly well known. The, uh, the writers were part of the Brill Building, the Screen Gems uh, mm-hmm. Publishing Music. And that's not a coincidence, I'm sure. <clears throat> and so uh, the, the publishers, uh, the head of the publishing uh, in New York, Don Kirshner, of course, and then out here in L.A., it was uh, Lester Sill. They had, they had, you know, given these writers their marching orders, you know, when the series sold. They said, okay, Neil Diamond, Carol King, Jerry Goffin, Diane Hildebrand, Carol Bear Sager, David Gates, <laughs> all these, yeah. these people that were sitting in these little cubby holes. <clears throat> and that's how it worked back then. That's how the songwriting worked. That, uh, you know, the Shirelles would say, we need a new song, and, and Carol King would submit them. You know, that, and so the same thing happened with, with the monkeys. And so back then, <clears throat> I would hear the early demos, acetate demos of just, say, uh, you know, Carol King singing Pleasant Valley Sunday or whatever, <clears throat> just playing the piano. And I would say, wow, I like that one, and, or, and it, but it's in the wrong key. Or, <clears throat> and sometimes I would hear something and it didn't really grab me, you know, and I'd, I'd say, well, you know, I'm not sure about that one. So, and then eventually, of course, we would start writing stuff, too, especially Mike. And so the same kind of thing happened with, with, with Good Times. I sat down one night, I know, with Andrew Sandoval, and um, he's the one that had, had salvaged and, and archived all these stuff from the 60s. And we sat down for a couple hours and <clears throat> listened and picked a few that we both thought would, would work, um, like, good, like Good Times, mm-hmm. uh, Harry Nielsen one, for instance. And in fact, that I was the one that suggested the, the name of the album be Good Times. Um, uh, I thought that'd be a, a great title track. And, and then uh, some others. 
then hearing a couple of things that Davey had, had sung on, which is very cool. And so it came, and then Rhino Records, um, John Hughes uh, specifically over there, kind of the A&R, that hardly doesn't exist anymore, does it, A&R? He reached out to some people he knew, and we'd known over the years that, that some of these writers uh, were fans, and, but he reached out and spread the word, and all of a sudden, I mean, we just got inundated with material from these people, Noel Gallagher and, and Paul Weller, and oh my God, we can't wait to write a song for the monkeys. And we had a plethora of material that we had we, we, we could choose from. And that is how, that's how good times came about. Uh, you know, it was just like, you know, it was like the perfect storm kind of thing. Well, I, I'm I'm such a big fan of a lot of those songwriters, and you know, the Buck and uh, Peter Buck and, and Scott McCoy probably you know is, is top tier writers for me, and and that title track to this uh, Christmas party is so good, you know. It, yeah, isn't that great? It, it has a different yeah. feeling to the rest of it too, uh, wouldn't you say? There, there is a bit more. I don't know. I guess the way it drives. There's so many I like on the on the on the CD. I mean. Um, and the traditional stuff too. I mean, mm-hmm. Snowfall. I love Nez uh, uh, on Snowfall because I reminds me of my mom singing that back in the '40s and '50s when I was a kid. She would sing that song <clears throat> around Christmas uh, time. I love Gingerbread. I love uh, uh, the well, the first uh, single as uh, Unwrapped You for Christmas. I like What Would Santa Do. I and so many of them there, you know, and and it's nice because they're 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 pretty generic in the sense that they're they're not heavily heavily weighted on on uh, any major religious theme. It's just good time kind of party music. You'd mentioned Davy a few times, you know, being featured on here, going back and finding those, you know, the, those old tracks. I mean, that's that's got to still be a, a special moment. I mean, it's such a cool way. In one sense, to keep the band together, I guess. <laughs> I suppose that that's one way to put it. But you got to remember, the Monkees was not a band; it was a TV show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about about a band, and that's certainly the way I've always looked at it. And so, if you look at the four of us, uh, more like the cast of a of a musical. Um, you know, the, to, for me, for my money, the whole thing makes a whole lot more sense. Because, like I mentioned before, after the show went off the air, there was no monkeys. There was no monkey office or monkey management or, or monkey business like, like you know, equivalent of say Apple or, or uh, Stones management or anything like that. There was nothing. You know, the the show went off the air. They shut the offices, closed the doors, and and I, and that was it. <laughs> like like any. Uh, you know, like any television uh, series, I suppose. Yeah. Was there um was there any talk to include Christmas is my time of year with this collection? Just to wrap it all up, that that was kind of the the one you know floating Christmas track out there that was associated with the monkeys that had been recorded. Yes, there was talk, and uh, you know the A and R people and the record company and us to some degree, and Adam Adam Schlesinger especially. Mm-hmm. I think I think they did an incredible job in an amazingly short period of time. For my money, I mean, I, I, and again, I can only speak for myself. <clears throat> I tend to leave, leave that stuff up to the powers that be. 
you know, um, that's their job to make those kind of decisions. <clears throat> There's an old English saying, you know, keep a dog and bark yourself. <laughs> um, and I kind of operate like that uh, in, in my life in general in business. I, I surround myself with people that I trust and that I, that, that I, you know, believe in, and uh, and then I let them do their job. And in the case of this, I've certainly put in my two cents about the the songs and the material that I uh, responded to. And but basically, I, I leave that kind of stuff up to the the producers. And uh, like you. Or if I'm acting in a film, I leave it up to the direct director, if you know what I mean. Right, right. Well, uh, again, I, I'm a really big fan of Christmas Party. It's It's been a lot of fun hearing the new music. And if you don't mind, while we've still got a couple minutes here, to head back, because we're sort of riding the line between two anniversaries, two Monkeys album anniversaries, too. You you all have been talking about Head a little bit lately that just turned 50, right? Yeah. yeah. We just had a big screening here in Los Angeles uh, at the uh, Egyptian Theater. We had a packed, sold-out screening. <clears throat> and then Nez, uh, Michael Nesmith and I did a, um, a Q&A about it <clears throat> after uh, and then had a big meet and greet. It, it was, uh, it, you know, it's become quite this little cult, cult thing. Well, it's such a cool album. I mean, and of course, it sounds quite a bit different when you place it, you know, against the other albums of the catalog. And and that's sort of what I wondered, like, looking back on that, how much of the direction of that was desire and vision versus how much was maybe being swept up in the times and the trends? So that that, that turns into quite a long story. Um, But it starts with uh, us being introduced to this guy named Jack Nicholson. And he was a friend of Bob Rapelson, the producer of the Monkees, and one who actually created the show. And the idea at the time was, guys, uh, we we have an opportunity to make a movie, a kind of low-budget movie, but Columbia Pictures, uh, the uh, parent company of Screen Gems, produced the uh, series, said, let's make a movie, and we have an opportunity to, to do something different than the TV show. On the television show, standards and practices and, and the censors and this and <clears throat> there was never any uh, you know opportunity to to kind of stretch out and and do uh, something with more I don't know adult themes or or, or or anything like that they said yeah we could do something different uh, we don't uh, and I remember uh, agreeing that we did not want to do a uh, just a 90-minute version of the television show. Probably should have. To, it would have probably been a lot more successful. But then again, we wouldn't have this wonderful, quirky, uh, little cult movie. But the thing I was going to just say briefly is that you got to remember that the people that behind it, Jack Nicholson, unknown at the time, of course, Bert Schneider, Bob Rapelson became the huge director. Uh, they were part of that young buck movement in Hollywood with Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Bob, you know, Bob, Bob and Bert, the Monkees producers are the ones that made Easy Rider and other people like Martin Scorsese. And they were bucking up against the major Hollywood studio system at the time, which still existed. And oh, it was virtually impossible to get a film made or distributed unless you were part of that Hollywood studio system. 
And long story short, Bob Burt, uh, Jack, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Martin Scorsese, and, and others, they broke down the, the wall. They broke that fourth wall and essentially created uh, the independent uh, uh, Hollywood film industry. And Head, that movie, was one of the first to do that. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, but um, uh, it's, it's definitely about deconstruction. Right. Not just deconstructing the monkeys, per se, but also deconstructing that old traditional Hollywood studio system. And so that was also reflected in the music, which is the long answer yeah. to your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what I've always been amazed at when I look back on that time is the speed of change that bands could do musically. You know, I, I was just talking to, with uh, Roger McGuinn and separately with David Crosby and, and the way the birds had shifted from psychedelic to country in four months. You know, it was, it was sort of like that because the monkeys went from head to instant replay, which, you know, was, was in, in just a matter of months, too, as far as release dates go. And, and to me, the style change in that, you know, bands have trouble replicating that these days over a two-year period, let alone a mere months. You know, it's, it's amazing. Well, again, that's – remember, the monkeys was not your traditional sort of band. All that – the songs on um, – Instant replay. That they'd already been recorded uh, way before we did the movie Head. Oh, okay. This was part of the the massive amount, and there's still 60 tracks and vocals out there that have never been released and never finished because they needed all this material so fast for the television show. Over the period of those couple of years, you know, we were recording 24/7. And so Instant Replay, I don't recall the track list, you know, letter for letter, but Instant Replay was a lot of stuff that had already been recorded and had and they had planned to release and, and, you know, and put on the television show. But the television show was canceled and we all went on our merry way. So it's not like after uh, the movie Head, we all sat down and said, oh, now let's do Instant Replay. Um, it, it didn't work like that. Yeah. That was uh, under the auspices of the record company. Some good good songs on that album too, though. Oh, great songs! Yeah, all throughout. In fact, uh, you know, Shorty Blackwell, that your 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 little yeah. opus there. That's turning fifty next year, so that's. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny! Yeah, keep getting asked to to do that. I don't know how I could ever do that on stage, <laughs> but <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's it. That's a quirky little thing. So 60 tracks and, and, you know, vocals, I mean, is there any kind of desire to to keep getting that stuff out in in some way? Well, we talked about it. Like I said, we talked about it originally after good times. And it certainly wouldn't happen for at least a year or two, uh, if if at all. Uh, You know, I mean, I I don't know how you're going to follow up that good times album. Uh, It's just so special to, to me. It's it's good stuff that you're still doing. I mean, fifty some odd years later, you know, it's still quality know, it's albums. So yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, you know, the equivalent. It occurred to me the equivalent would uh, uh, having uh, you know a top twenty album fifty years after the fact. I can't think of any other act that, that's done that. Uh, you know, you'd probably know more about it than I. Uh, but having a top twenty album like that fifty years after the fact. Uh, and not a compilation album either, right, obviously. Right. It would be the equivalent of, in 1967, uh, 50 years ago from when we released Good Times, in 1967, 
it would be the equivalent of having an act having a top 20 album from the year 1917 <laughs> just at the end of the first world war wow <laughs> like enrico caruso right having right and top top 20 album oh man well, congratulations on that, on, on Good Times and, and on Christmas Party, too. It really is a fun record, and, and we just so much enjoy hearing what you guys uh, continue to do. We really do. Thank you, sir. All right. Mickey, it was a pleasure Thank talking you to time. you. We'll see you around. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. And a big O thanks to Mickey Dolans from the Monkees. Again, the, uh, the new Christmas record is called Christmas Party. It is out now. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to, whether it's on YouTube, on Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. After that, you can head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern, where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.